So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Is the word of God. Amen. So far, we have noticed few things in, the, in this passage. First of all, all the disciples were saying, I have seen the Lord. Everyone. And we have also noticed, reason Christ spoke peace to you three times. Peace to you, peace to you, and peace to you. And last week, we have seen in this text the very first night of his resurrection. Before dust settled, he commissioned his disciples right away on that night. While people are still trying to figure things out, Christ did not delay, but he said, Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So Christ's community is always on the move. Going into the world to proclaim the gospel is from the inception of this community. That has been the case. And now today, I skipped 22, verse 22 last Sunday because it is just so much going on in verse 22. And even I had to divide this verse between today, this Sunday, and next Sunday. uh, Because I cannot speak all these things. And I want to be clear today. But it is a highly conceptual uh, topic. And, and, And as I pray to the Lord, I pray that God will show us wonderful things of God. Jesus just said, I send you. And when he has said this, and all these are interconnected, right? It, is, it happens one after, after the other. And he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Today, I am just going to speak on that first section. He breathed on them. I don't know how many of you have studied this or heard a sermon on this. It is actually for the first time I am speaking on this topic. But this has been in my mind at least for 20 years or so. When I was commuting from Philadelphia to right there, somewhere over there, to serve as a youth pastor, it was a big church and we had about 10 to 15 uh, staff. And there was a senior pastor and there was an, what you may call an executive pastor. So whenever senior pastor was away, he would be in charge. He was about 20 years older than me and I was just a seminary student. So it is a wonderful thing that you learn things about church by watching older men how to do everything. I will tag along when they visit houses and 
members of uh, church members and how to evangelize, how to say things, how to react or interact. But one of the really things that I think now is a bit funny, but it really stuck in my mind, was that that man, humble man and reformed man, whenever he would pray, he would pray loudly, which is the way in which we, the Mama tradition, prays. But he, he would, he would, he would breathe into Mike. So in the middle of praying, he would do something like, and I am praying in the back, and I'm opening my eyes and to see what he is trying to do. And he, he would breathe so loudly into the mic. And I, I, I didn't know what he was trying to do as a young man. But when I was reading this passage, I noticed that Jesus, before he said, receive the Holy Spirit, he breathed on them. I didn't go up to him and ask him, Sir, did you, did you try to do what Christ did on this night? I, I, didn't, I didn't ask that question. But I am pretty sure that's what he had in mind. I am pretty 100% sure every time. Now I look back. You know, I'm a nice guy. So I will not condemn him. Probably it was his desire as a pastor to see his congregation receive the Holy Spirit. But it is a dangerous thing as we meditate upon what this really means. Let's, let's first of all, as I always do, when you encounter something like this, you examine as carefully possible what the text says. The text actually says, He breathed. On them is not there. But He breathed and said unto them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So, all of the English translations will say he breathed on them as if he directed his breathing upon the disciples. He may have, we just don't know. But either way, it does not matter. But the fact is, before he said, receive the Holy Spirit, which he could have done simply, I also send you. And in order for you to fulfill that commission, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Everybody will understand. But Christ, in between that, paused and He breathed. Okay, on them. He breathed on them. And we, as I believe, as we believe these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every word. Plenary inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Every word is not wasted. Not a single syllable is wasted. And I believe Christ has something in mind. He breathed and saying receive the Holy Spirit is something that we call ap-exegetical statement. That is, the latter explains the former. So it really is his action and he gives the commentary. And what is his breathing? As Christians, we could immediately think about what it means. His breathing is his symbolic act or sign pointing to what will come about in 50 days, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
in Acts 2. His breathing here announces, anticipates, guarantees, and prepares his disciples for the Holy Spirit's coming. But let me give you a few uh, quotations from four different commentaries on this breathing, what that they think it means. A person says this, it is better to take this, his breathing, as a special empowerment of the Holy Spirit for the mission to which the disciples have just been assigned, which I think is the first uh, understanding for many of us. It is a special empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Another one says this, it does not refer to empowerment for ministry, which took place later at Pentecost, but to formal ordination of 11 disciples to this special office. I've never heard about that. That person will say, this breathing really is ordination of these 11 apostles. Another commentary will say this, the Spirit is now given to the disciples in a provocative and personal way. He sees this action, breathing, is an actual giving of the Spirit. The other person will say, no, no. Since the disciples did not actually receive the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, which is some 40, 50 days later, this statement must be understood as a pledge of on Christ's part that Holy Spirit would be coming. I realize the debate is on how to see his breathing and the coming of the Spirit in Acts 2. How to reconcile his breathing now and full pouring of the Holy Spirit in 40 days, uh, 50 days later. That's where the debate is. But when you look at all these commentaries, there is truth in each sentence, each commentary. In a sense, it is ordination. It is, in a sense, is a pledge. It is, in some sense, is empowerment. Not probably full empowerment, but as an installment or something like that. So it is better to take all these things in. But as he said, he breathed, and his explanation received the Holy Spirit. So our, from the outset, our conclusion is his breathing was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old and New Testament, Holy Spirit is pictured in what way? First of all, as air, wind, spirit, breath. It's the same word, usually. So it is wind or the spirit, air, that is hovering over the, uh, in the formation of the world. But also the second dominant motif for the Holy Spirit is the water. Breath and water are two dominant uh, concepts in the Old and New, signifying what? Life. right? Breath and water. Breath and water. Everywhere that is what it is. But I want to draw your attention to a couple of places. First of all, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured upon his disciples, the scene is described in this way. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, noise like wind, 
and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Remember that? So Holy Spirit's coming, at least in the manifestation of it in Acts 2, is really like the wind. But more importantly, we want to go to creation account. First of all, creation account in chapter 1 verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit, wind, air, whichever way you want to translate. But usually the spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. Is the first, at least for us, it is the witness of the Holy Spirit in the creation. And the climax of God's creation was what? Forming or creation of man. And you know exactly what God does when he creates man in this way. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So Trinitarian act of creation was Father creates man according to the Son's image through the Holy Spirit. So when God breathed the breath of life, it is, I think it's more than okay for us to say that very breath of life that comes from God is none other than Holy Spirit. It's not an energy. So it is okay for us to conclude that the Spirit Himself was the agent in giving life to men. But what happened after the fall? Sin caused death came. Now, Jesus Christ is just risen from the dead. He just conquered death, the entire human history since the fall, Genesis 3, and after everything now has been concluded and and conquered by victorious Christ. And He is risen and He shows up in the midst of His people, His disciples. He gives peace, He gives peace, He commissions them, and what does He do? He breathes. So this is more than empowerment for the missions. As God-man, Jesus Christ was also the creator, according to the Bible. Now he is reenacting the original creation account. In the beginning, when God formed man, he breathed into the nostrils the breath of God, the very life of God. And it is, it must be the Holy Spirit. And now, Christ, the victorious King, who just conquered death as the seed of woman, He now breathes. And He is giving the new life unto His disciples. The only difference between Genesis account and uh, John 20, Christ breathing, is that Jesus is breathing. Jesus' breath of life is what? Death-proof life now. According to everyone who lives and believes in, in me will never die. When exactly, how exactly this regeneration happened for the disciples, we cannot know. It is not written. But it is a symbolic way of Christ declaring new creation is the point. If you would look at elsewhere, you know recreation is more than saving sinners and sending them to heaven. 
Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The scope of the transformation of Christ's resurrection is not confined to sinners going to heaven. But as you know, whole creation is groaning under the weight of sin. And in some principal way, Christ is announcing, My breathing is the second act of creation. I am recreating. I am recreating not only my disciples, my church, the elect, but I am here to announce the recreation or restoration of whole cosmos is the point of his breathing. In that way, if I could compare it this way, his death and resurrection is the tip of a high mountain point. His accomplished work of his death and resurrection is the ground upon which you and I stand. His breathing is the application of his accomplishments so that it is like his breathing is like for us to stand on his accomplishments and to look around and to see the beautiful scenery that is in front of us and taking it all in. How wonderful it is. Breathing gives us that occasion to pause. Here, pause and see the wonderful accomplishment that Christ has done. And breathing is that act of his new creation, reconciliation, or restoration in all its glory. How? Let me ask this question. How then the breathing here, Christ, what he does, signifying the Holy Spirit, makes us new. The way in which Jesus Christ recreates the old sinful people into a new creation is by uniting us to himself by the bond of the Holy Spirit. I want you to focus on that today. If I ask, how are we become a new person? People say, believe in Jesus Christ. He forgives your sins. And you go to heaven. And you are made new. That's true. But what I am trying to emphasize today, because we are at the theme, on the theme of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? In all your confessions, Holy Spirit applies the salvation of Christ. Right? But I want you to get one more thing. What Holy Spirit does primarily is not simply revealing new things for us, giving new information, but Holy Spirit scoops us up and put us together into Christ. And in union with the risen Christ, we receive all things from God. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. There is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is, it may be a big theme, but it is the pinnacle of our theology or our tradition. For example, if you listen to a lot of traditional Lutheran theology, 
their whole emphasis really is on justification. And even that is the differences between the seminaries. It's, it's not simply a matter of uh, emphasis, but it is a priority. So if you go to um, this another reform seminary somewhere in the West Coast, they will lay heavy emphasis on justification. And long time ago, a person who was hiring that professor in the end said, well, he sounds like a Lutheran. For us, in our tradition, what we need to appreciate is that Holy Spirit comes into us. Not only He comes into us, He dwells within us. Not only that, Holy Spirit binds us to Christ Himself. And I mean, let me just give you a couple of quotations from a well-known theologian. Sinclair Ferguson in the Holy Spirit says this, The central role of the Spirit is to reveal Christ and to unite us to Him and to all those who participate in His body. Just as the indwelling of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit are two aspects of one and the same reality in the New Testament. So to sustain us in Christ is the heart and soul of the Spirit's ministry. What is Spirit's ministry? It is not simply impartation of Christ's life. It is not simply impartation of the gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is all of that. But the primary act of the Holy Spirit is bringing us and binding us to Christ is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, Christianity, rightly understood, does not, first and foremost, offer to us heaven or new life. Obviously, it offers that. But what Christianity offers to undeserving sinners in their repentance and in faith in Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. Therefore, what it offers is none other than Christ himself. That's what we get through the agent of the Holy Spirit. Just as the breath of God made man a living being, because it alone animates and gives power, power to live. Only Jesus' breathing gives physically alive, yet spiritually dead sinners the second life, eternal life, through His Spirit. But He binds us to this risen Christ. Again, if I may quote Him again, the blessings of redemption ought not to be viewed as merely having Christ as their ultimate source, like we receive new life. But being ours only by direct participation in Christ, in union with Him through the Spirit. The blessings of salvation become ours through the Spirit exclusively, immediately, simultaneously, and eschatologically. What that really basically means is that we do not simply receive the fruit of the accomplishment of Christ's salvation, but we receive Christ Himself through the Spirit. Then, who are the Christians? Last week, we added the definition. We are the sent ones. 
If you are born again Christian, you will say like Isaiah, here I am, send me. Joyfully, thankfully. Whether we like it or not, whether our circumstances allow it or not, to be a Christian is to be a saint one. Always, everywhere. But also, we are united ones. The ones who are united to the risen Christ spiritually, mysteriously, but really to himself. We are found in Christ. That is what we receive. So think about this, what Christ is doing. Obviously, as he was risen, he was breathing. But for John to notice that, his action here, in the very important Every word counts here. If this is the most important event, if this is resurrection account is the most important event, wouldn't you, shouldn't you recognize everything that is happening here? And Christ, He commissions them and He breathed upon them. And all that I have said, I believe, I thought about it, but I believe it is safe to conclude that it is exactly what Jesus is trying to do. At least give them a sense that I will not leave you alone. I am coming in the person of the Holy Spirit to abide with you forever till the end of the ages. I will never forsake you so that you could be with me. I could be with you and for you to go out. It is not simply go out and do the missions. It's not simply evangelize. But it is the declaration that new age has come. This is the new beginning, not simply for the sinners, but for the entire creation that is subjected on the futility of sin. Finally, finally today, how do we then, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Blowing into the mic or creating a scene, such scenes. Uh, I don't think that's the way. You cannot do that. It is not human-created event. It is sovereign choice of God. But then, God did not leave us alone. Just wait again until God does something. Is there something else that the means by which or through which God sends His Spirit? What passage comes to your mind? I was thinking about this and obvious was the nostril thing. And Christ breathes. Oh, that looks like recreation to me. But the second dominant passage in the Old Testament, where the Spirit of God recreates or revives the dead sinners, was from Ezekiel 37, if you remember. That valley of dry bones. And let me read just a few verses from there. We spent last end of last year, Ezekiel 20. They are in exile, in exilic community by the river. It is like refugee camp. Daniel was in the court of the king of Babylon. But Ezekiel was with the common folks, with his own people, remember, by the river. And God shows him a lot of visions and what is happening in Jerusalem, in the temple. Blasphemous things that were happening. And the most famous scene actually is the 37th chapter. If people do not know Ezekiel, they know this because they have heard sermons about it. But he shows, God shows him a vision, valley full of dry bones. Dry bones signifying or implying the spiritual state of the Israelites. 
But how are we going to revive them? He asked. And listen to these verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel speaking, and he brought me out by the Spirit, same Ruah, wind, breath of the Lord, and sent me down in the middle of the valley. This is vision. It's not real vision. It was full of bones. And God asked him this question, Son of man, can these bones live? And he wasn't sure, so he says, Oh, Lord God, you know. He didn't want to answer. And God commands him this way. Again, he said to me, prophesy. Right. That was the word. You see the full dry bones? How are we going to make this alive? How can you? He said, I don't know. You know. And God said to him, prophesy. To me, it sounds like preach your word. Preach the word. Prophesy over these bones. And say to them, oh dry bones, what? Hear the word of the Lord, he says. Dry bones cannot hear, but as he speaks, the word of God goes forth. Holy Spirit revives them at the same time using the word of God. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. He is the acting subject. God is. The Spirit is. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put, again, breath in you. Same word. Spirit brought him. Same spirit brought him. Same spirit in you, but now it is translated as breath. Breath, wind, the spirit, or same word translated in all different contexts. Put breath in you that you may come alive. You will know that I am the Lord. So what does he do? What does Ezekiel do? So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, rattling, bones came together, bone to bone to its bone. And what do, what do you see? Whole army of God assembling. Exceedingly great army stood on their feet. So, conclusion. God uses human agent, men of God here, to preach the word of God by the power of His Holy Spirit to put His Spirit, wind, or breath into them to cause them to come back alive. And that task is not limited to me. The means that God uses primarily is the Word of God, as you all know. As we expect God to work in our hearts, again, I say the same thing. There must be the Word of God taught, read, meditated, spoken, prayed upon you. And God will use that to cause you and I to come alive again. Obviously, it's not just that. There are other things that means that God uses. Last week, Sunday, I was feeling very, very down and depressed. There are times like that. I'm not usually as spiritually sensitive as other spiritually sensitive people are. But last Sunday, I was just not feeling well. Not physically. Physically, I was fine. But spiritually... I wasn't, something was not right. 
Monday, you know, um, I woke up at 3 a.m. and uh, Monday, and I was just doing whatever that I was doing, and I really, I was feeling that I was being depressed, and I, I thought, I don't know what to do at this point, reading God's Word, or, or just praying, it wasn't working, but Monday, like all in the morning, what I did was I was able to pick up a book uh, and I read a, a simple uh, section in it, a chapter in it, um, Lectures to My Students by Charles Spurgeon. And it was, I, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it and you probably have read it, heard it. Fainting Fits of Ministers was the chapter. I was reading it. I have a bunch of Spurgeon. Uh, always good to read Spurgeon. Even this morning I was reading another Spurgeon. But that particular passage and that paragraph, I never really have cried by reading something like that. But it brought me to tears. Sure, it could be praise songs too. Many people come to Christ by singing, which I did in the midst of praise. In prayer, uh, Holy Spirit works mightily in your prayer. Reading of scriptures, God walks. And even using a book like that, a chapter, I was greatly encouraged by what he said. A single chapter did wonders to me. Whatever it is, pick it up. Whatever it is, use it. Throw yourself, make yourself available to it so that Holy Spirit may work in your heart. God works sovereignly, but God uses the means that God has given you. May our God breathe the breath of life, the breath of resurrection, breath of restoration, to restore all of our broken relationships and give us peace. May God breathe the breath of revival into our church so that we may become like that bones to become mighty army of God once again for the glory of His name. Let us pray.